We're in a series just now about Jesus, but specifically how he was what you might call irreligious, not your classic religious figure, leader, or icon. Now, (laughs) I'm aware of the irony of this for, that will be obvious for many of us. (laughs) Jesus is generally associated with one of the most religious groups of history, Christians. And, And for many of us, like being religious isn't something that we really want to be labeled with. For most of us, it's often for this very same reason. We've experienced religion ourselves and we don't want it. So we might be okay with spirituality. We we might be open to ideas of faith and belief. But is Jesus just too connected to a religion that seems to be about rules, guilt, and shame? Now, I'm a pastor, but that doesn't exempt me from knowing that religiosity can be exhausting and unfulfilling and filled with guilt and fear. And... (laughs) That's actually, that's also true about generic spirituality. And to be fair, can even be true about atheism. So where does that leave us with Jesus? Well, Jesus appears to us in scripture as a rabbi. A rabbi was a spiritual leader or teacher within Judaism. Rabbis were interpreters in their community. They studied and meditated the scriptures. They would would guide people in trying to get as close as you could to what God intended in the commands of scripture, which, as you imagine, was a pretty chill life, (laughs) dominated by number nines on the Enneagram, right? (laughs) No, actually, rabbis created the rules as to how the Jewish law was followed. So one rabbi would come along and he would permit some things while another would forbid those things. And and what would you do? Well, you would try and pick the rabbi that you felt was doing the best job of getting closest to what God intended in Scripture. And then you would follow them. Which leaves you asking the obvious question right now. How do you get to be a rabbi? Well, essentially, you get ordained by another rabbi, and that rabbi's authority covers you, and your job is to continue in their train of thought and teaching. Not not just to do your own thing, that's not what it was to be a rabbi, but to carry on that tradition. So somewhere along, an idea comes along, and it gets passed on, and then it gets passed on again, and then on and on between the rabbis, and it becomes religious. We don't really question it or think about it or challenge it. It's just the way things are. And then appears a rabbi called Jesus. In his first major speech in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus begins to unpack his vision of how we should live. And there's absolutely nothing unusual about that at all from a rabbi until you begin to hear what it is that he says. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, Jesus begins by saying, you have heard that it was said. And now here you would expect him to roll out a long traditional take on a particular subject. But then Jesus continues and says, but I tell you, You have heard, but I tell you. And then he does this again in verse 27. And again in verse 31. And in verse 33. 
and in verse 38, and again in verse 43. And he's not talking about light stuff either. You know, like, like what temperature should you grill a pork loin or whether hockey is more godly than basketball. <laughs> but actually, Jesus is offering different ways to look at things like murder and adultery and divorce and retributive violence and kindness towards your enemies. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus is turning to decades of religious ways of thinking, centuries of tradition, and saying, you know, I think there's a different way to see this. Later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, he phrases it like this. In chapter 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But the, the spoken idea of learning from Jesus that we hear at this point contains within it an unspoken idea as well. The idea of unlearning. If Jesus is just a sort of minor app upgrade, then we just add what he has said to what we already know. But that's not going to work for us following this rabbi called Jesus. See, because following Jesus requires a full reprogram. Before we learn some new things, we have to unlearn some old things. To learn, we have to unlearn. Now, if you want to appreciate how disruptive unlearning can be, then you need to watch this video from Destin Sandlin. Sandlin calls this experiment in the video the backwards brain bicycle. And what he does is he engineers a bike so that the handlebars turn the wheel in the opposite direction. So when he does like this, the wheel goes like that and vice versa. And then he experiences how difficult it is to reprogram his brain, to unlearn something as fundamental as riding a bike. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. All right. So, the faster I go, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sure. couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. Okay. All right, I was like, oh. All right, so, uh, 
Whatever you're in. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. <laughs> Now, what's fascinating is that after he takes eight months to learn to do this, he actually loses the ability to ride a normal bike. We'll post the link in the description below so that you can watch the whole video later. But the video shows us how difficult it can sometimes be to learn something new. And it's so difficult to learn something new if we don't unlearn what we already knew. So he wasn't learning new things on top of the old, but he had to unlearn before he could learn. Now your brain, human brains, have remarkable neuroplasticity. Our brains can continually reorganize themselves and form new neural connections throughout our lives so that we can actually, even in our older years, learn to ride a bike backwards. However, we don't really like doing this. Although our brains can do it, we prefer to have everything safely boxed in and predictable. If you don't believe me, or perhaps you don't agree with me, let me ask this question. How much have you enjoyed the disruption to your life of the past 11 weeks? For many of us, the last few weeks have been a huge process of learning, but they've also been a process of unlearning. Think about it like this. You've had to learn to keep your distance from people, and then you've had to unlearn things like handshakes and hugs, which seemed like it would be really easy. But when you actually see your friend at a distance, how hard is it to override all those brain connections that say, I know what I should be doing here, and I'm not allowed to do it? Unlearning is hard but necessary. St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 22, he says, you were taught to put off your old self and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God. So following Jesus requires a sort of spiritual plasticity, to learn new connections, connections that resist the temptation to shrink and narrow Jesus down into just a minor upgrade to our lives, or to assume that Jesus is just going to reinforce a particular way of thinking. But of course, Jesus did say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was a farming implement that ensured that your oxen traveled in the right direction when you were doing your farming work. And the rabbis took this metaphor of the yoke and used it to describe the guidance that they were offering. Their instructions on how you should be, how you should live, what it would look like to be alive. Which kind of makes us want to ask this question. When Jesus says, you have heard, but I tell you, is he giving us permission to see things differently? To resist the temptation to be weighed down and locked into tired religious ways of thinking and being? Is Jesus giving us permission not to be bound up by guilt and fear and shame, but to rather free us so that we can explore what it means to follow him in grace and gratitude? You have heard it said, but I tell you. Here's the thing. We're all religious. 
For some, our religiosity is directly connected to our faith. So maybe you're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or, or some other faith. And your religiosity is absolutely connected to how you work that faith out. But for others of us, our religiosity comes in our work as we are absolutely committed on a quest to success. For some, it's our politics. For others, our bank balance. Maybe your religion is found in just the number that your step counter says on your watch at the end of the day. Our religion is where we pursue wholeness, where we manage our senses of guilt, the, where we manage the, the sort of the thing that we do that we think gives us worth or value. That thing that we'll protect at all costs, ultimately, because it's that that justifies our lives. If you don't believe you're religious, you know, motivated to keep a particular standard or justify yourself in a particular way, let me ask you another question. In the last 11 weeks, have you at any point tidied just that bit of your house that's visible on the Zoom call? The rest of your life might be in chaos, but if I can just appear organized and like I have it all together, then I think I'll be okay. And then we encounter Jesus and he asks us, what if you were to unlearn that? Like, where are you carrying guilt or exhaustion or fear right now? Like, is, is your guilt coming from how work is going for you right now? Are you, are you exhausted from, from maybe trying to homeschool or, or work out life with all of your people at home at the same time? Are you afraid about the future? Are you worried about what that's going to do to your job or your savings or your plans? If we look where we are most tired, that's where we normally find our quest to meet some sort of standard, some sort of achievement, something that proves we've done enough to be what we think is valuable. And that spot right there, that's your religion. Whether you come to church or whether you don't come to church, that's where your religiosity will grow from. And that's the spot where this rabbi comes to you and he wants you to unlearn that. Because this rabbi says, you have heard about religiosity, but I want to tell you about grace. You have heard and seen what religiosity does to you. You've lived in its effects of trying to meet a standard, but I want to tell you about grace. Remember, Jesus says it like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think of those words, rest, gentleness, humility. Jesus says there is something to carry. There is a yoke, but it's easy. It's light. In some languages, they translate this sentence here as, my burden is good. So if you're tired and burnt out, which many of us are just now, Zoom fatigue, work from home stress, homeschool exhaustion, career anxiety, you need something good. And look into the future. 
We are going to need new levels of innovation, adaptation, flexibility, nimbleness like we've never encountered before. Whether it's here in church, in your home, at work, at school, or university, all of us have lots of change in our foreseeable future. So I think that Jesus is the rabbi that we need. Because he's not going to box us in and say, it has to be the way it always has been. It has to be the same in church. It has to be the same in work. It has to be the same in education, life. These, These can all be different. Because following Jesus gives us that spiritual plasticity that even in all of the change, he will still offer us rest, an easy yoke, and something to carry that is good. And to me, that sounds like good news. So may you become aware that religiosity comes in many shapes, forms, and sizes, but it doesn't come from Jesus. Instead, this irreligious rabbi calls you to a restful path of unlearning, far from the stresses of proving your worth through your achievements. And may you find peace from his easy burden in the change and the chaos. And may you follow that rabbi. May you learn his ways. And may his grace and peace be with you.